Wild Missions original podcast. Southern Africa is home to the world's deadliest cat. It's not a lion, it's not a cheetah, and it's not even a leopard. This cat is actually smaller than most domestic cats. It's called the world's deadliest cat because 60% of its hunts are successful, and that's about four times higher than a lion. Today, we know quite a bit about this cat, but this wasn't the case almost 30 years ago when Dr. Alexander Sleever started his field studies on this species. Every single year, he has traveled back and forth from his home country of Germany to South Africa and Namibia to undertake long-term research on this species. Along the way, he's provided answers to so many of the basic questions we once had, such as what do they eat, how do they hunt, and where do they live? Research like this takes time, effort, and most importantly, passion. It can be tedious, arduous, and sometimes even boring. This is the story of Dr. Sleva and his passion for studying Africa's black-footed cat. I'm Andy Varvel, and this is Cats of the Wild, Episode 5, On the Trail with the Black-Footed Cat. The Black-Footed Cat lives in the arid grasslands and lightly wooded savannas of the Kalahari and Karoo deserts in southern Africa. They're a nocturnal species, spending most of the day sleeping in hollowed-out termite mounds or burrows, and spending the night hunting small rodents, mammals, and birds. Cats mate between late July and March, with the majority of litters born in September or October, after a gestation period of 63 to 68 days. They usually only give birth to one to three kittens, and after five months, the cubs are independent, but remain in the range of their mother. The black-footed cat is one of the smallest cats in the world and has short legs, a stocky body and a short tail. Its fur is tawny coloured with black and brown spots and it gets its name from the black fur and black pads on the underside of its feet. My name is Dr. Alexander Sliver. He's the founder and project leader of the Black-Footed Cat Working Group and the curator at Cologne Zoo in Germany. You could say I'm I'm sort of a zoologist. I'm not the director and I'm not the keeper, so so I do everything in between. He also studies sand cats in the Sahara, and in Europe, he is a cat specialist group of zoos chair, which coordinates the breeding programs for cats across zoos in Europe. Now, to the untrained eye like mine, the black-footed cat can look similar to some domestic cat breeds, but to trained eyes like Alexander, there are physical and genetic differences between the two species. They do actually look, to me, obviously, look highly different. They've got sort of a dwarfish demeanor. So they've got a large head, large ears, relatively short legs. The current knowledge says that they have been separated at least 2 million years from the ancestors that they share with essentially the the North African wildcat, which is the ancestor of our domestic cat, and the other species of the Felis line, you know, which is the jungle cat, the sand cat, black-footed cat. And, and the two different wildcats after the newest taxonomy. I think they're definitely the most pretty of the domestic cat lineage. They look like a mini leopard, but they don't have these rosettes. 
but actually big bold patches, which sometimes coalesce to bands, particularly around the legs. I think they've got the tiniest feet of all the cats. I mean, even the rusty spotted cat, which is even lighter in body weight than the black footed cat's got bigger feet. So I think black footed cat by far is the record holder in the smallest feet of all cats. Alexander's passion for wildlife started at a very young age. He grew up in Japan and later Berlin, always surrounded by nature. As a small boy, obviously lions and tigers are very impressive. But then later on, discovered that the small cats are completely underrepresented. And if I wanted to read up in books at that time, not online, it was very hard to come by in terms of information on the smaller species. Maybe, you know, about bobcat and uh, European wildcat lynxes, you could read a bit. But, you know, all these exotic cats from Africa and Asia and South America, you know, completely understudied. And obviously, you know, my passion also was nurtured by zoos, you know, going with my parents to the zoo uh, almost every week and later on by myself, seeing these cats and not being able to read up on them uh, really was sort of strange for me. After studying biology at the Free University of Berlin and birds at Tulane University in the United States, Alexander moved to South Africa, where as a PhD student, he studied the aardwolf at the University of Pretoria. Studying the art wolf, uh, which is a nocturnal insectivore belonging to the carnivore family, a hyena relative. And I learned how to capture these art wolves through darting and putting radio collars around them and learning how to habituate them. I mean, how they would tolerate a vehicle with the same sort of technique through very slow habituation. That means to get them used to the same sort of uh, movements and the lights and the sounds. After studying uh, the art wolf, which I did for 600 nights, two and a half years of field work, I kept on seeing black-footed cats because the study area was already at that time famous for sightings of black-footed cats. Um, not you know predictable, but on a regular basis. And I decided, okay, well, this is going to be a species I'm interested in. And obviously, I made notes at that time. Every time I saw black-footed cat while following art wolves, uh, where in what habitat, and I started you know doing the first publication and. Wuppertal Zoo at that time kept the international stud book for black-footed cats. So they said, well, if I would be studying black-footed cats, there would be some funding coming my way. And yeah, so this was essentially the start of my passion with black-footed cats. The year is 1992, and this is when Alexander began his long-term study of the black-footed cat. His longtime colleague and now project manager of the Black-Footed Cat Working Group is Beryl Wilson, a South African who works at the McGregor Museum in Kimberley as a zoologist and field biologist. Their research work relies on long-term field studies of the species over many years or decades to understand their behaviour, habitat, ecology and more. We actually have by now three study areas. Uh, my long-term one close to Kimberley on Benfontein uh, is the one since 1992. It's been continuous. And then we had for nine years one study area in the Karoo close to DR in the central South African Karoo, Great Karoo, which was really interested on farmland, um, much lower predator density, which really gave us incredible information, um, much larger home ranges of the cats. Uh, they have a very tough life there because it's been drier drier climate. And now since March this year, 2020, uh, we started a study in Namibia and their home ranges are gigantic. They're about five, six times already bigger than what I had, which was on Benfontein, 10 square kilometers. Think about it. That's, that's a very large area for such a small cat. 
Alexander had experience in darting and fitting radio collars to aardwolves, so now with his attention turned to the black-footed cat, he set out to collar some cats so he could begin to study the species. This, however, presented some new challenges. There are several techniques. I mean, first of all, you can sort of pursue the cat. You know, you, you drive behind it. And, uh, you know, black-footed cats are incredibly good in vanishing because they are very small. Uh, there's lots of holes by other digging animals like uh, spring hares or artfark or cape ground squirrel. Uh, so they can take immediately cover once they see you. So you have to know what you're looking at. You know, these very bright eyes, very close to the ground, look at you once and then disappear. And you have to memorize where you saw this and drive there quickly. So this is the first technique. Second technique, obviously, you know, if you, if you pursue this cat, you, you have a net and you jump out and you put the net over or you start digging the cat essentially very carefully out of this den. So you, you take a spade and you push a little blanket in front and you go closer and closer until you can reach it with your hand or with a little pole syringe and inject the cat then. So that's that's the method. Or you put the net over the opening of, of such a hole and then te- tease the cat a bit and it runs into the net. And obviously you have uh, thick gloves and you, you fix the cat and then you inject it. Because for radio coloring and measuring and weighing, black-footed cats are very wild. They really bite and scratch you. So it's better to have them you know under control with a sedative. Despite their small size, these cats are known to have a fearless, fierce and feisty attitude. They're sometimes called anthill tigers, reflecting their attitude and their habit for occupying termite mounds. They will not just give up, you know, they will fight you. Huh? So when you stick your hand into the hollow, they will scratch it, bite it. They will jump into the face of a black-backed jackal. Huh? I mean, they, they give it all, you know. It's, it's not a cat that essentially, you know, is docile. It's, it's, it's a cat with an attitude. There's a famous quote that's often attributed to Mark Twain that reads, It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. And this is just as true for the black-footed cat, as Alexander has seen firsthand on many occasions. So, you know, I was seeing that ostrich, a male ostrich incubating at night on his, on his clutch of eggs. And I saw this young male, you know, like sensing something in the distance. He couldn't see because the grass was quite long, but I could see the, you know, the head of the ostrich sticking out. So the cat starts stalking in like half an hour, closer and closer and closer, you know, and, and you could see in the classical feline way, the back legs were just about to, you know, sort of tread the ground before launching off. And in that second, obviously, because I was getting closer, the ostrich got a bit concerned with me. So it got up. And uh, the black-footed cat looked up, you know, at two and a half meters up to this gigantic bird, 100 kilos. And then the ostrich bolted <laughs> and the black-footed cat just, you know, just shook its head and said, okay, well, that's it. <laughs> I would have had it. <laughs> so that sort of uh, shows you, you know, sort of the attitude. You know, they, they would even stalk an ostrich and they might even jump on it. <laughs> Alexander's research showed that the black-footed cat is successful in 60% of all of its hunts, which earned it the not very scientific Guinness World Record title for most successful feline predator. They typically hunt in one of three ways. The first, which is the most common, is the slow hunt. A cat goes very carefully through the grass or bushes, you know, tr- trying not to move anything, not, not to make any sounds, and listening, you know, listening in both, both directions with their big ears if they hear rustling or a bird pipping. Uh, and then it will, you know, once it senses something, it goes slower and slower and, and then into a launching position. So that's sort of the slow hunt. They use that on quite still nights if, if there's not too much wind. But if there's lots of wind, you know, you, they will, their optical sense and particularly also their hearing is compromised through the wind moving vegetation, you know. They can't hear, hear the prey. This brings us to the second method, 
the fast hunt. They just trot through the grass quite fast or the bushes. And once they see something or hear something, they just pounce on it. And finally, the third method, the classic cat and mouse. Sitting down at a hole, uh, like, a, like a rodent hole, and you know they sniff actually in front of the burrow if the hole is active, uh, because uh, rodents often use urine to mark their, their, their runways, and, and, their, and then they just sit for half an hour to two hours, which is then extremely hard for me or somebody observing, because you, you can't let your eyes off that cat for two hours for one second, because that second it will jump. And if you haven't seen if it caught the mouse <laughs> or not, you know, it's, it's, uh, it will destroy your data. These cats live in grasslands, and with their small size, they've perfectly adapted to living and hunting within these habitats. So black-footed cats, you know, one of the adaptation, I think also they are short grass or no vegetation specialists, as you can say. You know, they can, they can hide because they're so small. I mean, average weight of a female is 1.2 kilograms, so roughly about a third or to a quarter of a house cat. And even a very large male weighing two and a half kilos is half of the size of, of the house cat. And uh, so they have a big advantage by their size, being small in short grass habitats. So they go and, you know, once they sense danger, if they're not close to a den, uh, they go just absolutely flat and motionless on the ground. So pressing down to the ground, pressing the ears down and, you know, essentially playing immobile, like, like dead. They know their home range extremely well. They know every hole and every shallow diggings and they will take refuge in these diggings. Black-footed cats are nocturnal. So doing field work can be grueling as you need to spend night after night tracking and studying these cats. This is the hard yards of being a wildcat biologist. So if I was doing these full nights, I, you know, obviously my, my field vehicle, which I had from my Artwolf times, you know, it's a, was a pickup truck and it had a rigged antenna system. So I had uh, two antennas facing at a 45 degree angle forwards and I was switching from one side to the other so I could track the cat until I saw it. And uh, obviously, I try to keep my eyes on the cat constantly while not influencing his behavior. So depending on the openness of a habitat, I was sometimes sitting back like 30, 40 meters, even 50 meters. And in very long grass, I was obviously had to be on the tail of the cat. I had to be 10 meters away. And that meant, you know, holding my spot lamp in my right hand out of the vehicle. Sometimes, you know, holding up my arm really high. And that spot lamp was really heavy. It was made out of metal. Uh, it was actually a, a car headlight, which I built myself. So in the end, you know, I even had shoulder damage. You know, I had, uh, when I wasn't in my mid forties, I had to had an operation on my shoulder. <laughs> so uh, long-term, uh, you know, damages of your field work. And obviously preparing for such a night, I was obviously making lots of sandwiches and coffee and uh, I tried to also do some sports, you know, because of all these cramped sitting and so on. You know, I was doing swimming and running and doing push-ups, you know, you have to keep your whole body and your mind fit. And, uh, you know, also if you do nocturnal work in a, in a long stretch, I, I used to do like 30 days in one row. Um, you have to keep mentally fit and, and also rested. Huh? And I often only slept five hours in 24 hours. And so crucial for me is to take a nap before I go out. So I had a power nap usually in the late afternoon preparing for the night. Over 28 years of tracking black-footed cats in Southern Africa, Alexander has a soft spot for some of them, having watched them grown up and live on this landscape for many years. The first cat that, that I, uh, I captured, um, her name was Ghetto, which is sort of 
in, in Spanish, cat, <laughs> very easy one. Obviously, you know, because I learned the most about her, um, getting her used with the same techniques I used for artwalks, you know, to the lights and not keeping the motor howling, getting closer and closer. And she revealed more and more to me in terms of her hunting success and how she used the home range, uh, that you changed her dens all the time. And so I really liked her, you know, I really, I spent 900 hours watching her directly. So, so that tells you, you know, a lot, huh? watching her and noting down her behavior, every little spray mark she did, every kill she made. So, you know, she stood out and, and uh, with the help of some friends, I, I captured her three, four times. And she was actually, she bit me once, but, <laughs> but I, I really liked her, you know, as, as a, because it was the first. And it's the same with uh, the first big male that I caught with the name Aris. So, and he really showed me what the difference is between a female cat and a, and a male cat, you know, that roams. So, you know, you sort of grow with your task. And I realized, wow, following a female is quite different to following a male. And, uh, you know, he sometimes took me on a, on a 16 kilometer drive around all night for 14 hours in winter. And I was doing full nights. So I, I was at the den at sunset and I kept on the cat all night until it went back into his den, into another den. And, you know, after these 16 kilometers of driving through grass and being on his, essentially on his tail, you know, I was so sore, you know, I, I, my shoulder hurt, my back hurt, <laughs> other parts hurt, the eyes were burning and, uh, you know, I, but it was a challenge and, and, and I really liked him personally. The black-footed cat is certainly not the top of the food chain and it is often predated upon by the black-backed jackal. Their kittens or cubs can also be threatened by mongoose, polecats or even large owls and raptors such as the giant eagle owl. But there's another species of cat that is also a major predator of the black-footed cat. The second predator is the caracal. It's actually related to servals and African golden cats, uh, which you talked about in the previous podcast. So the caracal is essentially the larger feline. It's, it's about the size of a bobcat or uh, a small lynx. And in the classical predator way, uh, larger predators often kill small predators, even without consuming them. So, so they just kill them out of sort of spite and competition. And so we also lost two black-footed cats through caracal predation. Alexander is the main assessor for the IUCN on the black-footed cat, and it is classified as vulnerable. They are threatened by poison baits and traps set out by farmers, habitat degradation, and declining populations of the southern African spring hare, which the cat uses as their burrows. These cats are also affected by a horrible disease called AA amyloidosis, which usually ends in kidney failure and death. We used to call it kidney disease in captive cats, but it is also present in the wild. And about a third of all adult black-footed cats die of this disease called AA amyloidosis. It's an inheritable disease. Despite 50 years of research in captivity, uh, we don't know actually what it causes. It's, it's, it's a bit related. It's a prion-induced disease related to Alzheimer, and there is no way to cure it. And it's the, the first signs you see it, and that is actually already too late, is if a cat, a black-footed cat starts drinking water because they don't need to drink at all uh, because they eat so much uh, and they take all the moisture from their prey. A black-footed cat eats about a fifth of his body weight every night in terms of food. So, so it's really a, a high-powered, ravenous animal, so it doesn't need to drink. 
But once the kidneys are, you know, damaged strongly through this amyloidosis, which is actually a protein that actually is deposited in the kidneys and renders them infunctional, um, then they start drinking because obviously they are essentially poisoned. So that's a very important factor we don't know anything about. After almost 30 years of research into the black-footed cat, Alexander sees a real need for more scientific study and research into the world's small cats. There are still many species of small wild cat where so little is known about them. So if you're a young biologist, what are you waiting for? We need far more information, and that is baseline ecological information about small cats. It's not just about conserving them. I know there are some colleagues which think differently, but and obviously, you know, if the if the cats disappear or the habitat disappears faster than we can learn about them. But I think some colleagues forget that we need to know the baseline. You know, We need to know how large is the home range, what is survival, what do they eat. If we don't know this, you, know, you, you can't, cannot do a, a red list assessment properly. You know? so, so I know some colleagues you know, who are said we need to just conserve these cats, but about many species, we don't know even the basics. And I think that needs to come. It's difficult, particularly with the forest living cats. And I'm getting very often asked, and then also, it's often not easy politically, you know, if you're not well connected uh, to get the permits to radio collar animals and to, you know, to convince decision makers in, in these countries, you know, to, that we need to know more, then it's difficult. But I, I hope there is people, you know, with a stamina and the, and the conviction to really uh, make this work because, you know, I've been talking and thinking about this the last 30 years and we still don't. We still don't know about many of the species, you know, marbled cat, clouded leopard, flat-headed cat, you know, the neotropical cats, although, you know, it's, it's around the doorstep of very good wildlife biologists, you know, there is, uh, we don't know anything or much about margay, you know, with uh, the tree ocelot, huh? or, um, so there's a lot to learn and we need the basics. And, and this is what people often forget. You know, you have to have your heart with it. And, you know, some of that is not fun. Uh, I mean, like uh, if you're dusty, tired and, and you wreck your shoulder, uh, that's, that's, that's what life is, you know, about. but, but it, it's very satisfying. And I, and I can just, you know, encourage young biologists to really go that way. It's a stony way sometimes. It doesn't work out. But if you are really dedicated, uh, it will work. I'm trying to educate the public more about Blackfooted Cats by, you know, having a Facebook site called Blackfooted Cat Working Group. You can register. And then I also have Instagram sites. One's called Blackfooted Cat, one word, dot life. You can look there at all my pictures. I write something every four days with a bit of informative text. Obviously, we are always interested in funds. We don't have a donation button yet, uh, but we have an, a South African account where we can also donate, you know, tax-free. And obviously, you can also send funds to Cologne Zoo. You know, there will be, there's a dedicated account where I make sure personally that this is used. We need funds, you know, to run our vehicles, to pay for monitoring persons, uh, monitoring these cats that we have radio collared. And uh, it's very important to keep on working long term on these cats in different study areas. We also have a website called Blackfooted Cat Working Group. Please support us and be interested. Thank you. Thank you so much to Dr. Alexander Sleever for sharing your stories of working with a black-footed cat. At catsofthewild.com, you'll find links to the Black-Footed Cat Working Group's website and social media pages, as well as some photos of the cat taken by Alexander. Cats of the Wild is created by me, Andy Barvel. Theme music is by Score Squad. 
other music and sound effects from Invato. Thank you.